0: Our worship series during October is, is titled Reordering Our Lives, Why the Rules Don't Always Work. And so in, in all the services and sermons during this month, we're looking at how God moves us from the kid stage, which is you obey the rules, through the teenage years where you push back against the rules, you break the rules, to something beyond, right, that, that the Bible calls wisdom, this wise new life of healthy patterns, of of balance where you figure out what rules make sense for you and how you and others around you can flourish. So this idea that the choir was helping you today about why obeying the rules doesn't always work, um, you might have thought that Bill Pollock is just losing his marbles and put on the wrong stole, but no. Uh, he was breaking the rules to make a point, so thank you, Bill, helping us with our theme this month. Okay, so our second gospel reading from Matthew 21. A parable, again, about vineyards. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants, they beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir, come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. they replied, and he'll rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held That he was a prophet. So I invite you to listen for God's voice to us today in this reading. God is blessing and healing the world, whether you know it or not, whether you can see it or not. God is renewing the earth, God is restoring broken relationships, God's new way of love and care and service. It will win out over selfishness, divisiveness, and hate, and God invites all of us to be a part of that work. This is the good news for us. We can become God's friends and God's coworkers. But, but, if we fail to respond to this good news with glad hearts, God will simply move past us and find other people who are ready and willing and available to do the work. We're talking about reordering our lives this month, and part of that involves recognizing that our membership in a church, our agreement with some set of beliefs, even if they're the right beliefs, our best efforts to worship God, all of that does not matter. It does not matter unless we can begin to see ourselves as tenant farmers charged with the task, the good work of blessing the places where we live. Now let me shift, shift gears here for a minute. The most inspiring person I've, ever, I've met in the past several years is a farmer named Will Buckland. Will and his family own Buckland Vineyards, um, and Will farms about 40 acres of some of the oldest vines in California. When Stephanie and I visited Sonoma Valley with some friends this summer, we toured three different wineries. The first two winery tours were kind of what you would expect. We sat in gorgeous, stunning, air-conditioned tasting rooms overlooking well-tended gardens and vineyards. So when we came to that third uh, tour, winery tour, we came to Buckland uh, Vineyards, we expected more of the same, but the experience could not have been more different than the first two wineries. Will emailed us the day before our visit, informing us that his vineyard is hard to find, that there are no signs uh, telling you how to get there, that even if we tried to enter the address of the vineyard in our phones, it wouldn't take us to the right place. So in the email was an elaborate set of instructions about uh, turn at this building and right at this, to get to where we were going. And he suggested in the email that we were to wear shoes appropriate for walking around a farm. So we knew this was going to be a little bit different. We were excited about it. The drive to the vineyard took us about 45 minutes. For the last 10 minutes of that drive, we were turning down smaller and smaller gravel lanes. We began to wonder where we were going. As we got close, I said to Stephanie, I said, look, we bought wine at these past two wineries. You know, we've spent enough. We don't need any more. We're not buying any more wine today. She said, fine. Finally, we came to the end of this lane. We pulled in past this low slung ranch house and pulled up next to this old rickety looking barn. It was several minutes before Will emerged from that house, walked down to the barn where we were standing. This guy was wearing an old white t-shirt, just said Buckland Vineyards, purple shorts, sandals. Very tan guy, had a long white beard. Maybe you saw a picture of him, we emailed out this week. Had sunglasses on, this tattered brimmed hat. His vibe was kind of farmer fused with yoga instructor fused with history professor. So I love this guy the minute I saw him. We introduced ourselves, but there really wasn't much small talk there beside the barn. He just headed out into the vineyard and told us to follow him. It was an extremely hot day, heat wave in Northern California, almost 100 degrees. So by the time we got out in the middle of the vineyard, we were all just wet, drenched with sweat. And he began by saying, I'm not going to talk to you about wine today. I'm a farmer, and this is a farm, and I'm going to talk to you about farming. So I thought, cool, this is going to be great. The vines in Will's Vineyard are the oldest vines in California. Many of them date back to the 1850s. So these are very old very gnarled vines, they are less productive than new vines, if you were to plant new vines. But he sees himself as a farmer, a steward of a very long legacy that he's tending. He doesn't prune and bind the vines into tight rows like some of the other uh, vineyards uh, to allow machinery to pass down through the rows and harvest the grapes. All the work on Buckland Vineyards land is done by hand. Um, he talked to, to us about soil health and about cover crops and about how his low-till methods prevent soil erosion. It's a dry vineyard, so he doesn't irrigate, only uses some five-gallon buckets for, the, for when he has to plant uh, new vines. He chose not to irrigate because he's worried about the deteriorating aquifers in California, but also because, he says, irrigated irrigated grapes are too full of water and therefore less intensely flavored. He doesn't spray insecticides to kill the mites that eat the grapes, because if you kill those mites, you also kill the larger mites that eat those mites, and thus you rupture a chain of interconnections that has been the natural rhythms of that farm for a very long time. He doesn't bother the moles and the gophers that tunnel and burrow through the ground beneath the vines. In his view, the bugs and the varmints belong to the vineyard as much as he does. So at the end of Will's passionate lecture about farming, which he had me entranced, We're all sweating. We, you know, walked back out of the vineyard toward the old barn. And I thought, as he got ready to roll back this big old door of the barn, that there'd be, you know, sort of an air-conditioned, nice tasting room inside the barn. But no, it was just a dirty old hot barn. So we walked in. He told us to grab some glasses from a box on the floor, went to this little refrigerated unit in the corner, and brought out some bottles for us to taste. We tasted wine for about an hour, and our conversation ranged all over the place, from farms to religion, from politics to education. Will loves talking. He told us never to let wine experts tell us what we should be tasting. We should just taste whatever we taste. He talked about his farming heroes, including Wendell Berry. I was glad to hear that. His second hero was his stepfather, who's the the person who purchased this vineyard in 1961. So he, he, we finished our tasting and Will said, so do you guys want to buy any wine? And I told Will we wanted a bottle of everything we tasted that day, <laughs> ignoring my wife's disdainful eye roll. I knew that was going on. He found a piece of brown paper, on a scrap of paper on the floor, tore a piece off, handed it to me and said, just write down your address and your credit card number and I'll mail it to you in October when the weather cools down. Without hesitation, I wrote everything down, trusting this guy who I'd known for an hour and a half with all my financial information. We haven't received the wine yet, but it's early in October. I trust him. I really do. He offered to walk us through the orchards and the gardens that surrounded his house, uh, right closer to his house. For the first time in my life, I ate a fresh peach from a tree. Now, don't judge me for this but I don't like fruit that's warm and juicy. I have a texture thing that kind of grosses me out. But what on earth was I going to do? Was I going to refuse a fresh, beautiful peach from my new farming hero? Well, of course not. I I ate it and I told Will it was the best peach I'd ever eaten. It's the only peach I've ever eaten. (laughs) Showed us a hillside plant with all kinds of fruits and vegetables, pointed out the spiky purple flowers of the artichoke plants, showed us his herb garden, milkweed plants that the, that the monarch butterflies need, the patch of buckwheat planted near the beehives for the bees, sprawling expanses of lilac and lavender. And he went into why all this was necessary for the whole thing to make sense in an interconnected way. So, our reading today asks us to imagine a vineyard, a farm entrusted to farmers who were to cultivate the land and share the produce of that farm with the vineyard owner the farmers were to live on the farm and care for it so that it would flourish and thrive and jesus says that god's kingdom is a lot like a vineyard and yet when you listen to him tell this story you hear nothing about the way these farmers cared for the land and cultivated the crops you hear nothing about the yield that the land produced that was to be shared with the owner the whole focus of the story that jesus tells falls on the violent behavior of these tenant farmers. Their behavior was greedy, it was short-sighted, it was hateful. When the owner sends employees to collect his share of the harvest, the tenants beat some and murdered the others. The owner sends an even larger delegation of trusted employees, and the same things happens. When the vineyard owner hears of this, we're questioning the wisdom of this vineyard owner by this point, right? But the vineyard owner says, I'll send my son. Maybe that will help things. And when that happens, the tenant farmer say, this son is the heir. Let's kill him too. And then we'll get the inheritance. This nice little parable kind of tumbles along like a nice little brook. And then all of a sudden reaches out and grabs us by the throat. Like Jesus' original hearers, we are outraged by the behavior of these tenants. Those wretches should be tortured and killed, we shout about their behavior. And it's right then that it hits us. This parable isn't about anybody else, this parable is about us. This is our story. And when we read this parable together, the risen Christ is here with us, before us, inviting us and warning us to turn our lives around and make things right. The story does carry with it a threat. It's impossible to ignore that. The threat, simply put, is that God will bless the world without you and without me, if need be. We might get bypassed. We might get sidelined. We all live in a vineyard carefully designed to be productive and fruitful, and either we will hear God's call to become co-workers in the fields of God's kingdom, or God will replace us with others who will do the work. The threat of the story is even sharper for religious people. You should be uncomfortable as you sit here in church. Its sharpest edge is reserved for religious leaders, Professionals who wear colorful stoles and have the right titles but who know nothing about cultivating the vineyard with kindness and care. It's on days like this that I wish I was doing something else for a living. So I do want us to hear the threat of the story. Simply put, it's get going or get out of the way. Let's get busy becoming the kind of congregation, the kind of community, the kind of families, the kind of nation, the kind of people that God calls us to become. Of course, God is patient and kind. Of course, God will forgive us. God will pick us up when we fall and give us chance after chance. But at some point, if we do not benefit from God's patient grace, if our hearts are not called to life by God's amazing compassion for us, then God will simply find someone else, some other partners, to care for the garden around us. Just to remind you, Literary context a little bit. We're reading from Matthew's gospel about the final week in Jesus life He's already entered Jerusalem the religious leaders there in Jerusalem have already shown their cards. They've had enough of Jesus They want him arrested and killed and this parable is a point of judgment of all who are not ready to gladly receive God's new kingdom and so we cannot hear this parable unless we are willing to to hear a firm word from God about our own violent culture and our own violent hearts. At the end of a week that began with yet another terrible mass shooting, today might be a good day to grieve together over the anger, and the hatred, and the violence that has become the soundtrack of our American lives. Today might be a good day to confront and confess the murderous violence in our own hearts, to confess some of the revenge fantasies we harbor against people we don't like or people who've harmed us, to confess the violence in the way we speak, to confess the violence in the policies and the politicians that we support. To confess the violence of our priorities and our budgets. But it's not all threat. It's not all threat. There is good news here for us, and the good news is that there is still time for us if we can recognize our own violence, if we can repent of it and turn our energies to cultivating the soil and tending to the productivity of the vineyard, like any farm that's overtaken by weeds and thorns, our own cultural vineyard it really can be nursed back to health and it can begin with us. It can begin with ordinary people who hear in this little story the opportunity to turn around and begin to live our lives in new ways. I didn't really need to talk at length about Will Buckland as I did, just to emphasize the gentleness and the care and the careful attention required for farming and gardening. We have lots of people here in the congregation who know this well. Lots of us have eaten the produce from the gardens of John and Jackie, from Odie and Thelma, Leah Lewis, Jean and Ruth Farmer, others of you. The Murrows have a farm. Uh, Some of you raise livestock. The key to receiving God's new kingdom by tending to the land like careful caretaking farmers, that wisdom is right here in our midst. But you do have to love and care for and pay attention to the fruitfulness of your place. Today the living God gives all of us another chance to respond faithfully to the good news of Jesus Christ. God invites us to turn in a new direction to become diligent cultivators of the fields of our lives so that both the places we live and the people around us can flourish. This language of tending gardens, of caring for vineyards, this is all good imagery for imagining the work that God has given us to do. So let this metaphor of tending and keeping, let it shape you as you leave here this week and look at your life. Your community, the place where you live, is a vineyard. Your social media presence is a vineyard. Your congregation is a vineyard. Your family, your own family, is a vineyard. Your neighborhood is a vineyard. Your workplace is a vineyard. Do you get the idea? On and on. So are you willing to become a faithful steward and caretaker of the gardens around you? Are you tending to the health of the vineyard? Are you devoted to its flourishing and to its well-being? Perhaps there is some specific thing you can do this week, some specific action that would be a caretaking, cultivating practice. I don't think that's a maybe. I think, I think we can trust that that's true. There's something that you and I can do as we leave here this week that will contribute to the flourishing of our places. And God calls you and God calls me to be a co-worker, a channel through which God can bless our surroundings. This is the way of life that will bring us gladness and joy. And surely we don't want to get out of the way, so let's get going. Amen.